The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? The way hiring used to be. Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But now, there's a smarter way at ZipRecruiter.com slash West Wing. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. So it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. Number one. Yeah. I was wondering what it was going to be, but it was number one. Right? The best you can be. Yeah. And right now, our listeners can try the number one rated ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash West Wing. That's number one rated ZipRecruiter at ZipRecruiter.com slash West Wing. Yep, it's the West Wing Weekly. I'm Joshua Molina. And I'm Rishi K. Shirway. And today we're talking about Access. It's episode 18 from season five. It was written by Lauren Schmidt. It was directed by Alex Graves. And it first aired on the last day of March in 2004. Lauren Schmidt, of course, is our friend, a.k.a. Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick. That's right. Lauren number four. This episode is a documentary-style, unique take on the West Wing where a camera crew from a PBS show is following around CJ for one day. And the access in the title presumably refers to the access they're given to CJ, but I think there's also some level to it about CJ's access to the truth and to the president and all the things that she sometimes left out of. Are we witnessing an impromptu renopsis? I'm winging it. Damn. Nice. As the episode unfolds, there's a standoff with the FBI on an island off of the coast of Washington State, and it brings up flashbacks from a time before the West Wing series started, a crisis that happened in the early days of the Bartlett administration at Casey Creek. Mm-hmm. This one is a weird one. It is a weird one, and I, notoriously, I think, among the fandom, uh, advise for the title of worst episode of the West Wing. I suppose, I mean, if you were going to say, what is the worst flavor of ice cream, you could pick one, probably. It would be this flavor. <laughs> it would be. It, no, it is still ice cream. It is true. still the West Wing. But if you go to Ben and Jerry's, do not get access. No, exactly right. Yeah, it's not a great episode. <laughs> it's conceptually flawed. I mean, it's not even, it's not that the writing is bad to me. The directing isn't bad. The acting is, it's all great as always. But to me, the episode doesn't really make any sense. It's just conceptually, mm-hmm. as I watch it, I wonder why. Why? Why? Because, because by definition, as fans of the West Wing, we have an all-access pass. So all we get <laughs> with the idea of this, hey, we'll do a behind-the-scenes look at this show that is entirely a behind-the-scenes look at the White House staff. And what we get through this is restricted access. So for one episode, we get to see less than what we usually see <laughs> because we're part of a film crew that doesn't have full access. It's just inane. Well, perhaps in anticipation to your reaction, the first lines of this episode are... Why? That's the right question. Wow. It's almost too on the nose. It kind of is. Right. She's asking, why are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should have ended it there. <laughs> You know what, CJ? You're right. There's no reason to do this. Well, I think conceptually, this episode, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to speculate that this episode actually has its roots in an ER episode. The season opener from season four, episode one of season four, is an episode called 
Ambush, mm-hmm. in which a documentary crew... I feel like I've seen that episode and forgot about it, yeah. It posts up in the hospital and they follow everyone around and there's an interesting set of overlaps in that is show it the ent- entire the same crew in its entirety <laughs> that, would be, that would be amazing i think both of these shows must be john wells ideas but uh some interesting tie-ins besides just the concept the episode guest stars lisa edelstein as one of the directors of the documentary ah. and also uh, guest stars nick offerman mm pluey but the biggest one to me is the the episode was directed by Tommy Schlamy. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of shared DNA. Mm-hmm. That episode, whatever you might want to say about the conceptual conceit, it was a huge, huge episode for ER. I mean, a lot of press or a huge audience? Huge audience. All of that. Yeah, well, I, I think, so I, I mean, I can understand then where the creative spark might have come for John, but I would have thought after a couple minutes discussion it would be clear that bringing a camera crew to cover CJ and her band of aides that we've never met before would be less than illuminating. I, I don't understand how that idea got out of committee. Hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think it's fair. I think what you said is exactly right. I completely agree with you about the idea that the notion that a documentary crew is there to give you an inside look at what it's like to be a staffer in the White House is like, well, we've been tuned in. This is season five. Right. That's the premise of the show, John. Um, But one thing that I thought was interesting is that uh, to have an episode that exists kind of outside of the world of the West Wing, like we're all watching sort of within one framework of of the world you know where we get to go behind the closed doors because we're there with the characters we're watching this tv show in which they're the characters but this imagines a world outside of it i think it's interesting because it gives us a chance to see how people who are not watching the west wing get to view some of these people like if you didn't watch the show and and you're in the world of the west wing what is your actual perspective on toby ziegler you know, it comes through things like this. So as a sort of an artifact of the world, I think it's really neat. I actually like the idea. I, th- I probably would have been one of the people to vote it out of committee in terms of the strength of the concept if that were sort of leaned into more. You know, that this was presenting the conceit of inside access, but actually what it is is showing what people outside of the White House are actually de- given and delivered. Except that even in that fictional world... We're told that they're seeing this after the Bartlett administration is no more. Which is also a strange conceptual thing for this. It is. You know, we have these, I think, multiple super fake moments of our normally cool under fire heroes being very thrown off because a camera crew is following them. But it's clear that they can restrict the camera crew's access at any time. Mm -hmm. And as we know, ultimately, they can keep them from releasing anything for years, for three more years. This is supposed to come out, this is in the first year of the second term. Mm -hmm. And we are told that this thing is going to air for the first time after Bartlett's presidency is complete yeah so i mean one it just seems weird like what do we want a profile of cj craig for now and it doesn't 
give. That's the other thing overall that really blows my mind about this episode. So obviously the huge thing would be we were just going to do this profile during the first year of the second administration of C.J. Craig. And this incredible, we happen to be there when this incredible uh, situation in the San Juans happens. But now, three years later, we're getting the kind of report that doesn't dig in to anything beyond what they found out that day. In other words, now they would have three more years <laughs> to have looked into what happened that day. And it would be That's like cute. an incredibly in-depth. Yeah. They kind of yada, yada, yada. Yeah, the, uh, no, it's the, clear the that conspiracy. this thing is, is, you know, whatever. They edited it the next day and then yeah. they held on to it for three years. Right, they right. didn't make it into a post-mortem on this incredible national event right or even just saying like as we all know right exactly yeah yeah right they're treating it as if we're finding out for the f first time like we're watching it as it happened no no that happened three years ago <laughs> it, it, just, i just realized it would be the equivalent of february of 2017 after trump has taken office pbs is like and now here's a special on josh Ernest as president obama's press secretary in 2013 yeah right and you'd think, I guess that's interesting, but aren't there other things that <laughs> we need to be... Right, and that it would have happened on the day that uh, Osama bin Laden was killed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then there would be only just really initial information, as much information as you had that day. <laughs> right. And not as if they had done, done any further work on this special <laughs> in the yeah. ensuing three years. Yeah. It's ludicrous. It's not credible. It doesn't, all of a sudden, nothing makes sense. And, and we'll get to, I mean, we'll get into the, you know... Uh, a closer look at specific scenes and stuff. On top of it all, I think what we get is a very uncharacteristic look at a CJ that I don't recognize. Yes. So then this thing is supposed to be super illuminating about this character we love. Turns out to be just an offering up of a lesser, unrecognizable CJ. Yeah. I think time is the thing that I found most confusing about this whole episode. You know, by dropping an episode in the middle of season five, that in the voiceover by the narrator says, However, for national security purposes, the release of this documentary was prohibited until the administration left office. It means that everything that we have watched and are about to watch is actually a flashback. <laughs> that, that is true. In the context of the flow of these episodes, everything, that, that, like the world in which we're watching these episodes is actually not concurrent with the administration it's all over if we're able to watch yeah something from after the second that's term, a very good point they don't even mention that leo's dead <laughs> <laughs> well i mean really i could have ended with at least you know in loving memory of i mean leo mcgarry there are of course things that uh this missed because <laughs> they did do it in season five and there are some things you know that they end the uh episode with that you know the narrator has this line now this is a um, spoiler for anyone who has not watched past mm. this point i have not watched I past know where this you're point, going but you know but i do know some you know as i i think i've mentioned to you before i know you know some of the major beats about what's going to happen spoiler alert spoiler alert remove the kids from the room spoiler it for the next 30 seconds go ahead and click your uh, fast forward button and cj craig who allowed us to share a day with her in the west wing remains the only woman to have served two terms as the White House press secretary. Without giving away too much, we know that that's not actually true. And of course, that's they right. couldn't know that yet. So you can't really f fault them for it. But it's evidence of how dangerous it is to have this kind of, before the story's over, we're going to tell you how the story ends. Maybe in season seven, Bob Newhart will wake up next to Suzanne Plachette <laughs> and they'll realize 
that access was just a dream. A spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. Double spoiler. Another 30 (laughs) seconds if you haven't watched all the way through to the end of Newhart. (laughs) Yeah. So that part of the timing is weird. The idea that now everything is a flashback. The next episode that we're going to watch is a flashback. But, uh, I mean, yeah, they didn't mention Lee. Anyway, the other part that makes things sort of screwy time-wise is, yeah, this whole idea that there was a crisis in the early oh, days of Casey the, Creek now. Casey Creek, yes. Also really weird. Which we have never heard about and has never come up, even in previous episodes when there have been FBI stands off. Let's just jump back for a second to uh, the state dinner. Sure. If you remember uh, Mandy's inexperience, there was a crisis for Mandy about, you know, in terms of what the FBI might do and what they might not do when there are hostages. Casey Creek never came up in that episode. Like, we've got a new crisis that apparently haunted the Bartlett presidency, but we've not heard about it yet. Right. So that's a little bit strange. And then, yeah, as you were saying, the episode kind of cuts into CJ's profile and her level of acumen, because we did see her sort of at the beginning of the uh, administration, and she did quite well in flashbacks. Right. We thought she had hit the ground running. Yeah. But now they're saying, oh, actually, she was a little bit uh, slow to figure things out. Right. And even worse is the knock to her reputation that the contemporaneous uh, CJ takes, which is that she's really off her game because of this camera crew. She clearly, you know, by both her actions and behavior, as we have observed them, and by definition, as the press secretary, is the most press savvy member of the entire staff. And she seems really thrown that people happen to be covering her this day. Hmm. There are all these, you know, these weird moments. They need you in Leo's now? All of us? Uh... They didn't say. Okay, no big deal. Okay, I'm so sorry. It's all right. And they're all very, you know, very badly covering that something is up. And you think CJ would say, hey, guys, you got to turn off the camera for a minute. Uh, or, you know, I have to go into Leo's office, but you can't follow me. It's just sort of, where is her aplum and her elan? Why is she so thrown? Because this camera crew is following her as you know, a crisis uh, develops. Yeah. But just for a second, back to the Casey Creek part, here's what our narrator said about that incident. Casey Creek also haunted President Bartlett's young press secretary. C.J. Craig's naivete about the power of her podium led many to question her abilities to deliver the news of the nation. It would be months before she regained the confidence of the White House press corps and the Bartlett administration. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> I feel like that was a crisis that we didn't see. You know, and it, it just feels like Correct. it's through exposition. They're just saying, hey, this thing happened and these were the consequences. We've never seen those consequences. and But we're supposed to just sort of take for granted that this happened and these were the emotional stakes. But it was never earned. There, there's nothing in this episode to earn it. You know, that we've got some some footage of a bumbling young right. CJ. Yeah, if you're going to retcon, yes. it, it should be something that, oh, I now understand this aspect of uh, CJ. I never knew this thing happened, but that makes sense to it. Instead, it's just this thing. Well, oh, I'm telling you this. She, yeah. she was terrible at her job in the early days, and, and her hair looked like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's one bit of past history that we get that I think fits exactly what you're talking about the correct way, you know, the appropriate way, which is we find out from Toby that the way that they first started working together was he was working on a senatorial race and he discovered CJ at a PR firm. And that's great because we've kind of wondered how did they first, how did right. they first meet? Exactly. Him? Like, oh, that, that, that scratches in a little itch we might have had. Yeah, yeah. Good to know. And actually it's a great little piece of writing and acting. I love how he says, we were probably 
36 points behind when we got CJ. And uh, with her help, I think we gained two or three points before we lost. Which I yeah. thought was very funny. I want to mention something that I that I really liked in this episode while still being the end. I guess kind of ra- <laughs> the, the, the the closing credits. No, there there were lots of little things that I that I did actually I like agree. about this episode, but they were unfortunately kind of wrapped in the prosciutto of the thing that I didn't like. So it's hard to separate out. So Wilson Cruz, yeah, Wilson Cruz, who is terrific. People know him from my so-called life. They might know him from any number of things. Most recently, he was in Star Trek Discovery, and he was also in 13 Reasons Why. I really like this character, and I thought he played the character really well. Like that first interview that he gives on camera, talking about how he got the position, I'm instantly, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting character. He was criticizing the, the White House, and then he got a job, sort of like an Ainsley-style story. And then he, you know, comes around, he says, I think my job really is to protect her, to help her protect the president. I just, uh, I wanted more from this character, and I thought, we get to go round and round and round and round with Ryan Pierce and right. uh, and even Rena. Is there no room for Jack Sosa to be a recurring character? And, and I think, unfortunately, he's only in this episode and one more episode. Yeah, no, I even liked the little sort of uh, gang of young helpers that Carol helps corral for CJ and that little meeting they have, and they have some laughs, and I like the whole vibe, and I thought, you don't need the episode access to meet these people. Right. Why haven't we seen them before? It's a shame. And I'd like to see them in the future. So I, I like that aspect as well. Yeah. And also you bring up the interviews. I thought something, uh, one nice aspect of this episode is seeing characters with whom we're very familiar and we're familiar with their linguistic tics and how they express themselves. They all sound a little bit different when they're interviewed as yeah. indeed people tend to. Yeah. And I thought it was very good writing and good acting. And I suspect there was a little bit of the, uh, some sort of lifting of the word-for-word rule that always existed under Aaron Sorkin. And I suspect they were given a little leeway to kind of come up with the words on their own or to approximate a little bit because they felt like real interviews rather than uh, scripted moments. I thought that was done well. I agree. That's exactly what I was thinking of when I mentioned Jack's first interview on, on camera. He says, I actually went to Howard University here in D.C. I wrote for the paper, the student paper there, um, and I was writing articles basically about criticizing the administration really about their issues on gay issues and racial issues. And I thought in a really well-written script, a character wouldn't use issues three times in one sentence with two different meanings. I, I noticed the same moment. <laughs> and, um, That's but the way people actually speak. That is the way people actually speak. And, and I was wondering, I was like, how, how did they make that part so right on? Josh, you aren't in this episode. There is no Will Bailey in this episode. Do you have any idea? Do you remember the making of this episode at all? Or was this just sort of no. one week where you weren't there? Yeah, this was probably three and a half weeks that I was not there between Access and the Supremes. Right. <laughs> that was probably Josh for the month off. And I can't remember, because I'm in the credits, I'm in the opening credits, so yeah. maybe I was still get. maybe at this point I was getting paid for episodes I wasn't in, which means that it was a fantastic month. Because <laughs> nobody likes getting paid for not working more than I. <laughs> well, that's great, except for now you can't answer my questions. That's true. Although in fairness, had I been in the episode, probably would have the same recall <laughs> <laughs> and ability to answer your questions. <laughs> Well, I like that. I also watched a couple times just to try and figure out the performance of it, the part where Donna speaks. Her wit and her charm, and, and I think the, pe- the people, the press really respect her. 
and um, and so that she can keep a very strong and but friendly um, relationship with the press. And I think that that's important. She says, um, a few times on camera. And I was thinking, you know, when Donna speaks, even when in high pressure moments, she's usually very composed. She doesn't say, um, and I was wondering, is this the camera causing, you know, some level of insecurity on her part? Or are they like really trying to layer that in so that we really feel it. I don't know. What did you think? Did you buy those ums as uh, this is just Donna? As you know, scripted ums? Or, yeah, yeah, I took it as, ums. you know, uh, yeah, I took it as Donna being a little on edge. Yeah. A little nervous about being interviewed for TV. One of the things that I liked so much about it is at the end of Donna's speech there, when she says... That that's important. I mean, what do I know? But this is my opinion. You are interviewing me. <laughs> the way that she trails off and kind of laughs about it, having interviewed Janelle Maloney, I thought that seemed really like her. That felt very much like... Genuine. Yeah. And then I started to wonder if maybe they had just sort of outlined stuff and, and let the actors improvise some parts. It seems possible to me, too. But yeah. here's the gist of what you need to say and say it how you like. Yeah. Not just the way she said it, but that idea. I mean, what do I know? But this is my opinion. You are interviewing me. Right. That's very Janelle. <laughs> yeah. could have been <laughs> That's from true. one of our episodes. The first time I watched it, it was only the second time that I started to really, you know, zoom in on that. The first time I was like, wow, that's, this seems great. It feels like <laughs> they've really made it feel like, yeah, this is a different way of seeing these people. Which actually hints at the potential that was there in this kind of setup. In, in other words, I attacked the entire premise. I imagine there could have been something interesting about seeing how these people act given the camera crew's presence. But I just felt that was missed. We didn't really get anything extra. We got a little bit less than we normally get. You know, we get some moments that I don't find particularly credible of people being really thrown. Like, uh-oh, I've got to tell CJ that Leo wants her, but there's a camera crew here. Yeah. Which I don't find highly illuminating. In fact, I don't even buy it. I think they would say, hey, CJ, you got to, uh, Leo needs to talk to you. And she would say, you guys can't come with me. It's right. Like, <laughs> right. Know? But that there could have been something, it could have been somehow more interesting to have this camera crew there. Hmm. I actually found the mechanics of the plot really kind of hard to follow. We often talk about the show being ahead of us. This didn't feel like either it was ahead of us or anything like that. I just didn't really get everything that was going on, you know, beat by beat. Or rather, my attention wandered, which is very unusual. You know, I'd be thinking about the mechanics of the show and then they'd, be, then they'd say, oh, the FBI, something or other. And I'd be like, wait, where are we at in terms of who knows what about the thing and where are we going with it? To an extent where... I think that that plot line, which is really supposed to be, it's kind of a B plot line, but in a normal episode, it would be the A plot line. You know, if mm -hmm. the yes. A plot line in this one is really the documentary crew is filming CJ, which relegates what would be the actual A plot line to a B plot line. And I think that that story suffers from having that sort of secondary position. I agree. I had a similar thought, like, wow, they burned this off in what could have been a decent episode. And maybe they should have just realized this is the episode that wants to be made, and the camera crew thing just doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like there was so much story there that we weren't able to get to in the standoff story. No, they just, they could have built out that storyline, though. Yeah. And it could have carried an entire episode. I think the way that this manifested for me most poignantly was I was so happy that Mike Casper was in this episode. You know, I saw, oh, Clark. Yes. Clark, great. Always happy to see Clark. Now, they very explicitly make my point of earlier, which is that he's waiting for her at one point in CJ's office. He needs to talk to her. 
and he says, I don't want that camera crew in here. And so the door is shut yes. in the camera crew's face. And normally we'd get to go into that room with them. But because we're, we have the point of view of this right. uh, camera crew with restricted access, we now just have a scene that we don't get to see. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks, guys. Yeah. You know, if you weren't here filming today, we'd be able to see what they're t- and listen to what they're talking about. Also, as you were mentioning, you know, we have these scenes with CJ and her staff, her aides, and her assistant deputy's press secretary. Yes. And it does make me feel like, why couldn't they have been woven in here and there? You know, it, it's not like it had to just be CJ and Carol in her office. There are many examples of sort of characters who are part of the texture of the West Wing without being big parts of it. I mean, Bonnie and Ginger and... You know, Ron Ostro. There are lots of reporters who we have seen throughout the entire series of The West Wing. And we've never had to, you know, spend too much time with any of them. We kind of know their faces and we know their names. and, uh, And that's it. Like, there's room, I think for a recurring deputy press secretary. Why don't we have one? Yeah, why don't we have one? And and then we get Wilson Cruz and and a couple others introduced here. And um, Wilson Cruz is just, he feels like a big name to drop in and then disappear. If we're seeing in this episode, the daily ritual in CJ's office, every morning there's 30 people crammed in there, you know, doing a rundown. How is it we've never seen that before? And we've never seen any of them ever before you know like it's not even, i agree it's, yeah it's very odd but i like it and so i just wish that were part of it mm-hmm. speaking of uh cj support staff though i will say i think my favorite part of the entire episode is when carol gets interviewed by the documentarians well you know i'm I've, i'm split on that really i love any extra time for carol because i love melissa fitz and she's terrific and she's terrific in this episode but i did write down do you think she ever has to lie to the press? Gosh, that's a tough question to answer in front of a camera. <laughs> like, that's a rookie response. <laughs> I mean, that's really what Carol has to say. Carol, who couldn't have CJ's back anymore. Ooh, does she lie? Eh, that's that's kind of rough to answer. I'm like, wow, bad answer, Carol. That's a good point. I think I folded that in with Toby saying, oh, she withholds information, you know, with, with the rest of that. And I was giving her the benefit there. But you're right. On its own, she's basically saying, yeah, maybe she lies. Yeah. I mean, I would think she'd be fired for that. Right. If the interview came out four years earlier, yeah. <laughs> while CJ still had a job and Carol did too. I guess I was, <laughs> uh, I had skipped ahead to the end. She's the best boss and I couldn't have a better job. I really look at CJ as my mentor. I think that just that was really wonderful and sweet. It's the kind of thing where, like the, you know, the Toby reveal that he found her for a senatorial race, this is just a piece of exposition that illuminates their relationship. And in another context, we wouldn't have gotten it. There wouldn't be necessarily a moment where Carol says to someone explicitly, CJ is my mentor, but it completely fits. And it is just nice to hear that. It it gives this depth to it and it doesn't feel like it's retconning or changing anything, but at the same time, it enriches what we've seen before and what will come after. Agreed. Maybe that's why they did this stupid film crew episode. (laughs) Now we're going to take a quick break. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by Lightstream. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? Did you know you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? Why wouldn't you do that? Well, it turns out you can through Lightstream. They offer credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with auto pay. 
Well, that is considerably lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 18% APR. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. And how about this? As if it's not good enough, Lightstream plants a tree with every loan they fund. You can help oxygenate the world and save money. And right now, our listeners get a special discount on top of their already low rates. But the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash westwing. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash westwing. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash westwing for more information. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by Squarespace. That's right, and we're not just pitchmen. We're also clients. It's true. We use Squarespace for the West Wing Weekly website, thewestwingweekly.com. And I like Squarespace so much that when I had to make another website for myself, for my own projects and portfolio, I use Squarespace again for that website. You know, and I have a web design background. I have been paid by other people to make websites for them. And now at this point, when it came time to make a new website for myself, I said, you know what, rather than all of the work that I'm going to put in to create custom CSS and all this stuff, I I can get everything that I need with Squarespace. I'm putting myself out of work, basically. Ha! Squarespace makes it very easy to get creative with your website. That's right. There are beautiful templates and modules that you can just drag and drop in place, and they just work. That's right. So if you've got a blog or a vlog or something to sell. Some other slog. Any kind of log. If you're (laughs) selling logs, you can do it through Squarespace. Go start your website now at squarespace.com slash westwing, and you'll get a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code westwing and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. And now back to the show. On the heels of my um, praise for that moment, sure. I will also say one thing that bothered me is that Carol is not in focus. Is that true? Yeah, the focus is off on that shot. And I feel like that's not an accident. That was to give some kind of uh, something about the run and gun. Verisimilitude. Quality of it. But that actually strikes me as false. It's a set shot where they've like, they go to it a few times. Yeah, lock it off and Yeah, focus. exactly. Get it in focus. Good point. That seemed crazy to me that this documentary crew that has, uh, I mean, the guy at the beginning when CJ says, uh, when she's answering the question, why, she says, Why am I letting you tail me? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, I mean, I pitch, but I'm always surprised when people accept. Well, I'd seen your work. Oh, exactly. And I'm thinking, there are some parts of this where it's just not great (laughs) documentary work like that. Get your focus right. And then, too, there are these little moments here and there that bugged me a lot. As someone who works in nonfiction storytelling a little bit, you know, I'm not a documentary filmmaker, but the idea of cross-cutting your narrator and your main interview subject's voices is crazy to me. Oh, it's odd, isn't it? It drives me nuts that the narrator hasn't finished saying his sentence. It's the narrator. So you really, (laughs) you get to choose your timing there. Hasn't finished his sentence, and then CJ, they start CJ up on her sentence, which either feels like a huge editing mistake or that what or they're saying they did it on purpose and the last word of the narrator sentence doesn't really matter cnn's channel 53 offers constant coverage of 1600 pennsylvania i don't think it was ever a laid-back job (laughs) wow so who did the narration for the documentary it's a guy named will lyman not josh bailey (laughs) 
It is not Josh Bailey. It's Will Lyman, whose voice is also heard in the Dos Equis Most Interesting Man in the World commercials. Ah, very nice. He's the one who says, uh, When in Rome, they do as he does. He is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> I think I like 30 seconds of his voiceover more than an hour. <laughs> it felt a little droney after a while. I was like, yeah. is anybody still watching this documentary? But it also felt like the right style for the, That's the, true. that kind of... Yes, for a bad, boring documentary. <laughs> One of the things that I really admired about this episode, this is pretty nerdy, but I, I really liked the way that they mixed Will Lyman's voice. The EQ on his voice is um, kind of rounded off. It's very warm and it has a kind of a uh, vintage feel to it because a lot of the high end is is kind of uh, rolled off, huh. which means that it doesn't have it doesn't have the same kind of trebly quality that you would expect a modern microphone and modern narration to have. It gives it this kind of Walter Cronkite gravitas to it. Interesting. It instantly puts it into this world that I think it gives it this credibility. I, I thought it was a really nice detail. So is there a, uh, a sound editor to shout out? Is that who it would be? I think it would be the re-recording mixer. There are two re-recording mixers credited. They're Dan Hyland and Gary D. Rogers. So shout out to those guys. All right. Well done. Why wasn't the FBI director replaced after the fictional Casey Creek? There's not a lot of turnover in our no. West yeah, Wing. Some, some somewhere in the, in the realm of zero, other yeah. than Mandy. Exactly. And Mandy, Mandy wasn't fired so much as she was disappeared. <laughs> right. That's how the FBI director kept his job. That's right. <laughs> He's the only one who knows what they did with Mandy. <laughs> who knows, yeah, which end zone she's buried in. And <laughs> exactly. And so they keep stadium. him around for insurance. <laughs> and then the other, other job that has a lot of turnover is um, White House counsel. Right. Here's something that I was touched by, I thought was a compelling scene, and that is CJ's having to take a brief phone call from her dad oh, in the middle of this day. Interesting. Split decision on this then. Oh, you didn't like that. I thought it felt a little bit like too much of a visible plant and payoff kind of thing. I really liked the first part where, where her dad gets mentioned. Where's your mother now? She died. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. How about your father? He's, uh, he's uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Since we know what we know, it's really nice to see her, how she answers that. She says, he's in Dayton. It's only when pressed that she then has to answer the question about and reveal that he has Alzheimer's. She's originally just sort of avoiding it. Like it's the fact of her mother's death is a fact. And so she can talk about it and, right. and it's not private for her. But then you can see that she has some resistance about her dad's Alzheimer's. And I thought that that was really nice. You should have left it at that. Yes. Well, I think maybe I agree with you. I guess ultimately I'm, I like the way she played it. And I think I probably agree with you that we didn't need that extra scene. But given it, I thought it was well done. Mm. I think the other thing that bothered me about the Alzheimer's stuff is, again, it's this mixed bag. I really loved when they mixed in real images of a young Alice and Janney. That was awesome. They should have resisted the urge to use that roller coaster shot. I thought they should have resisted using it in conjunction with her talking about her dad or talking to her dad. Like, it's one thing to be like, oh, I'm the narrator. I'm telling you about CJ. And then, you know, from her young days and you, you, you get to see some young mm -hmm. images, but then right. to take the audio of her call with her father and then be like, oh, and by the way, we're going to show you some images that felt manipulative. Yeah. That was laying it on a little thick and then super 
jamming on top of that that like what a roller coaster this job is and she's on a roller coaster this episode access coming after the supremes Mm. put me in mind of when uh, my kids were much younger and they would come home from a sleepover in which they were just absolute angels and on their best behavior and wonderful and then back at my house they would completely melt down and be a a, a nightmare that was the supremes into access it's like everything came together and they made an incredibly magical episode of the west wing in season five and then it all went to in the Hmm. next episode i wonder if it's because they knew that they had such a great episode in the supremes that they were like this one will cover for this one you know we've got a little bit of credibility here so if we're gonna sneak one in might as well do it right after everybody is thinking about how great we are. <laughs> well, I mean, there could be some truth to that in the sense that having made this episode, they could have played it at any point. That's what I was thinking, too. It, it could have come at any point, since it's not part of the continuity. Yeah, I mean, so there may have been some reason to create this weird time-warped episode that they could then use when they fall behind elsewhere in the schedule or something like that. But, of course, I'm just making that up. Maybe we can ask Eli. I hesitate to reach out to anybody because I don't want anybody we know to listen to this episode. I know. (laughs) But just to cover our bases a little bit with some data. So on IMDb, users can vote on episodes and give them a rating of 1 to 10. So on IMDb, of all of the West Wing episodes, this one really is ranked last. Is that true? Oh, you're able, and you're able to see the order? Yes. The lowest ranked episode is Access. The highest ranked episode, you might not be surprised to learn, is Two Cathedrals. Two Cathedrals, that would have been my guess. But of the episodes from season five, the highest ranked is The Supremes. The Supremes. So you really do have the highest ranked episode. There's certainly the most well-loved season five episode, followed by the least loved. How about that? And if you throw out the highest rated and the lowest rated, you get the Will episodes. (laughs) I think that this is a tough assignment, you know? I'm impressed in a lot of ways by how they were able to capture, like basically they had to learn how to make an entirely new show for one Mm -hmm. episode. And I think that in a lot of ways, it really succeeded in terms of like the stylistically, they were able to do that. I don't like that show as much as the West Wing. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you. And and, uh, I'm sure we've torn this episode apart too much in a sense because it's still the West Wing and it's still enjoyable and the acting's good and the writing's fine and it's Alex Graves is a great director and I agree they really did pull off a feat and I just too much of the time I was thinking to what end that conceptually it's so flawed that it's a shame that the amount of effort and artistry that they put into it was put into it for these ends but one outcome that was positive is this episode was submitted as part of Alison Janney's season five best actress win that's insane. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, and by the way, to have a CJ-centric episode and then be like, wow, that, was, that wasn't great is almost unthinkable. Cause she's such a star and she's so great. And I love CJ and I love AJ. It's just, you know, any average episode has, I think, a better served CJ than this particular episode. I don't believe the CJ of this episode. Here's an interesting, but maybe controversial observation. I think that as uh, universally agreed upon how fantastic the character CJ is and how fantastic Alice and Janie is, the episodes that focus on CJ are actually some of the weaker ones, or at least they're all outliers. They're polarizing. Access is one. The Long Goodbye is another. The Long Goodbye. They're outliers. I mean, by by design. Right. Obviously, you know, you you get one written by John Robin Bates in the midst of another 90 by Aaron Sorkin or something like that. And then you get this weird time warped, as you say, stylistically different episode. So, 
Yeah, they're odd. I mean, that's also, it's an ensemble show. So when you focus solely or largely on a single character, there's always, it's like you're, you're tinkering with the DNA of uh, a show we love. Yeah. I think the really, uh, the end of season three, you know, with, with the Black Vera Wang, that's probably, I think, my favorite CJ-centric episode, All the stuff around Simon Donovan, where she got oh, to yeah. have the A story in kind of like really top Aaron Sorkin uh, form. Yeah, you're right. That's the quintessential yeah. CJ story. Uh, there's a great little moment here. We get a cameo, I believe an uncredited cameo, when CJ pulls into work in the morning. How's Aiden? Oh, she's great. Good. Thanks for asking. That's Doug Ornstein, who's the was the first AD on the show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of funny to see him be so super nice, too. Because, you know, a good first AD, and Doug is one, uh, has to sort of, you know, get everybody to task and on schedule and to see him. Oh, Miss, <laughs> Miss Craig. Oh, nice to see you. Oh, she's great. Oh, that was great. And right. then somebody hops, goes, hang on. And I was like, oh, that's the Doug I know. The first AD is often the person who has to yell places, has to yell quiet on the set. They're the person who does a lot of yelling on set. To keep the general. trains running, yeah. Yeah. There was, of course, the biggest ay ay of them all in the middle of this episode when CJ does say, do I ever have to lie to the press? Sometimes, lots of times, I withhold information for valid reasons, but you can't lie. You run the risk of damaging your credibility in front of a bunch of really smart people. And if they stop trusting you, the system's broken. Guess what? <laughs> it's broken. <laughs> uh, I mean, just the fact that she would refer to the press as a bunch of really smart people. Yeah. Shows an attitude that How is... How uh, quaint. Yeah. Long gone. One thing that's uh, mentioned in this episode is the press flak jacket. Oh, yes. We see the previous press secretary talk about it, and that actually is a real tradition. Yes, and without giving a, a too much of a spoiler, it will, uh, it will reemerge on the West Wing. In real life, the flak jacket is not an actual flak jacket. It's a tuxedo vest that they stick notes in the pockets of. Mm -hmm. There will be more dealings with the flak jacket. Oh, okay. One thing that I liked, again, this felt very real, was um, Martin Sheffield, that's this former press secretary, says at one point, It is a tough job, and it only gets tougher. Now we have a fraternity of former press secretaries, and we get together as like sort of a club. It's like there's maybe eight or so guys still kicking. And, you know, before we get to the part at the end where the narrator says, oh, she's the only woman to have served two terms as press secretary, just that little the fact that he calls it a fraternity and that it's eight or so guys, you know, just mm. it's just a nice moment of underscoring how much of an anomaly CJ is. Yeah. Again, this idea of the public perception of these people, you know, we have this love of Toby, despite his sort of kind of unfriendly prickly outside we know he's this tender-hearted sure. guy and, and really thoughtful and stuff but he doesn't come off well in this like he, he seems like a prick and i think it's really nice how they kind of underscore you know what we're told often which is that like people think that he's an unfriendly guy and he comes across as unfriendly and so for the public they probably look at this guy and think of him as what we get past you know that this like it, it ends at this level of like yeah he comes off as being kind of cold and maybe not so charismatic that's true i like even before he's being directly interviewed the first shot we have of a scene in which toby appears that's being covered by the press secretary just his discomfiture as portrayed by richard is funny you can just see him sort of eyeing the camera like toby's not a show pony he's not excited about being on tv <laughs> and it's, it's subtle and uh funny yeah 
Another person who doesn't, I think, come across so well in this episode is Charlie, surprisingly. I'm trying to remember now Charlie in this episode. He's trying to sort of uh, figure out a time with Carol. Oh. About, like when, you know, there, there are a couple got no moments slots. where the title of the episode is Access, and, and in a lot of ways, Access goes through Charlie. And there's something about the way that he uh, is protecting the president's time and schedule. It doesn't really jive in some ways with my image of how Charlie interacts with his coworkers. Huh. It, it's almost condescending attitude, you know, when he's talking to Carol. Three o'clock. Nope. 3.15. No. 3.30. No. 3.45. He has a conference call. Yeah. And so maybe he's fronting a little bit for the camera. Yeah, it's just... Uh, it's not not how I think of Charlie. Yeah, it, it made made me feel like he was... Yeah, maybe fronting, maybe like acting like he was more important or something than, than we've seen. Mm-hmm. He's always been so humble. And then, yeah. th- then he copped this attitude that was very not humble. You're right. It's interesting that this episode came out when it did. You know, soon after this, we'd get just the glut of documentary style comedy shows Hmm. you know we'd import the office from the uk and then we'd get every show that that was sort of modeled after that both parks and recreation but also like modern family you know it became like the sort of for a while it seemed like it was the de rigueur mode for tv comedy was to do this like mockumentary style show within a show kind of thing you're right and I wonder if this episode could have been made after that happened. I feel like in some ways it couldn't because it'd be like, this is now the world of comedy only. You can't do it as a drama. Right. Or maybe they'd see, you know, oh yeah, these are ways in which this works and, and you know, where you can acknowledge the camera and where you don't and take some lessons from it because <laughs> I think it's done so well in so many of those shows. Mm-hmm. This is a good time maybe to mention that coming up later this autumn, we are going to do a special episode of the West Wing Weekly. Ah. <gasps> about Parks and Recreation. Ooh, that's going to be fun. And how it was influenced by the West Wing. Just like our episode with Hamilton, with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tommy Kale, we're going to be doing one focusing on Parks and Rec. Except that I'll be there. That's right. (laughs) Until then, though, we'll be continuing on with season five. Although next week, we're going to be taking a break to regroup and getting ready for this last stretch of four episodes before we uh, wrap this one up. Wow. We're almost halfway through the series. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Getting close to that halfway mark. It's exciting. If you'd like to leave a comment for us about this episode, tell us what you thought of Access or our conversation about Access at thewestwingweekly.com or on our Facebook page or on Twitter or on our Instagram. I just remember one more thing. Mm. I like that in Gail's fishbowl in this episode, there was a little TV camera. And I like to think that it wasn't a little thing that was in her bowl so much as there was a little film crew right. filming Gale as well. Yeah, yeah. They were just getting some uh, some B-roll. Under the C-roll. Sushi roll. Oh, boom. <laughs> <laughs> also, in the meantime, you can listen to Rishi's award-winning podcast, Song Exploder. In which, by the way, I will never overlap my narration with uh, interview subject's voice. That's right. I promise. Why would you? No. Why would you? You can give us money in exchange for goods at westwingweekly.com slash merch. Or even better, you can give us money in exchange for nothing at westwingweekly.com slash donate. Uh, And if you'd like to look for a new podcast, check out our siblings at radiotopia.fm, a project from PRX, a curated collection of excellent cutting-edge podcasts, radiotopia.fm. Thanks to our editors, Margaret Miller, Zach McNeese, and our research assistant, Nick Song.
They're the salt of the earth. Okay. Okay. What's, What's next? next? Hey, listen up. On September 25th, 99% Invisible is launching a new project. 99% Invisible is Roman Mars's podcast. Roman Mars founded Radiotopia, of which the West Wing Weekly is a member. This is a special project called Articles of Interest, a six-part series by 99% Invisible producer Avery Truffleman. It's a longtime passion project for her. It explores what we wear and why. If you want to check it out, episodes will run twice a week for three weeks, and you can find them within the 99% Invisible feed. Avery is amazing, if you don't already know that. She's an incredible reporter and producer and also has one of the best voices in podcasting, hands down. And you'll learn all kinds of amazing facts about the clothes you and your loved ones wear. They'll explore questions like, why are children's clothes so bright and loud? Why are jeans blue? How come women's clothes have no pockets? And how Hawaii helped create Casual Friday. The stories weave together to create a bigger picture of what we wear and why it matters. Let's listen to a clip. Introducing a new six-part series from 99% Invisible. It's called Articles of Interest, and it's a show about what we wear. And so maybe the ideas about clothes. You can attach our ideas about class. An idea of home to a piece of cloth. <laughs> Any fool can wear clothes, but if you ain't got the attitude and style to carry it off, man, you're just a clothes horse. Look for it in your 99% Invisible podcast feed. You can hear all six episodes of Articles of Interest on 99% Invisible or learn more at articlesofinterest.club. Radiotopia.